In 2005, Ardashis Kasachian ran for the open Glendale city clerk seat with the explicit goal of making elections in Glendale more transparent, accessible, and secure. He was the youngest person ever elected to a Glendale municipal post in the city's history. In 2020, Kasachian ran for council, becoming the first city clerk to be elected to Glendale City Council. And as of April 2022, it became his turn to take the reins as the mayor for the city of Glendale. We spoke with Mr. Kasachian just before he was appointed mayor to discuss the challenges of the Armenian community and the importance of activism. From ANCA Western Region Director to Glendale Mayor, Ardashes has been representing and fighting for the Armenian American community for quite some time, and we were honored to hear his story and to share his experiences and wisdom with all of you. You are listening to Haituk Talks, the official podcast of the AYF West. I'm Haig Minasyan. And I'm Susanna Abrahamian. And we're just a couple of Armenians talking in the world. A couple of Armenians talking in the world. Welcome, Ardashes. Uh, I know a lot of people, you know, call you Artie, or that's what you maybe your <laughs> yeah. uh, online persona. Not persona. I'm gonna start just, all over. Just don't call me Kardashian. <laughs> Ardashes, Kardash. Um, no, but okay. so if you don't mind, I'm gonna call you Ardashes. It's a beautiful name. Dope Thank name. you. It, it is much. such a beautiful name, and it's an Armenian historic name. Actually, it was the name of the king of Metzhaik. Yep. So yeah. it's very much understandable. Ardashes Ashkargal. That's why my parents. So when I, I grew up um, back east, you know, I was born in Boston. I went to my kindergarten in New Jersey. And mm-hmm. first day of kindergarten in most American schools, back then you would go and they would have your name written on this tag with, with a piece of yarn. You'd wear it around your neck and everyone had like a very cute, short, omegatsi name, like John <laughs> Smith or whatever. <laughs> and I had Ardashes Kasachian, which like, you know, weighed oh. me down like, you know, oh, these Eskachvats. No. Your parents did well, though. I, <laughs> well, when I came home, I was upset about it. Yeah. I was like, why did you guys give me such a difficult name? And, you know, my parents said, and, and I said that I remember this. I remember this conversation clearly. They've explained, you know, they explained to me, they said, look, you're growing up in the United States. We can't, you know, tell you who you're going to marry, what, where you'll live. But the one thing your family, the one thing your parents give you that you carry with you wherever you go in this world that will remind you of who you are and where you've come from is your name. That's wow. amazing. I've yeah. actually had the same exact thought. You could, the only thing you could control in that situation is their name. Yeah. And I genuinely believe, like, you kind of, uh, the name is very symbolic as to, like, maybe something you want to aspire to or you think about, you know, regularly. So Absolutely. you cannot escape the fact that your name is Ardashes or Haik. And my, and, my, and, my, and my parents explained <laughs> to me who Ardashes was. They're like, yeah. you are named after uh, Ardashes Ashagal, who made sure everyone spoke Armenian or he cut out their tongue. And I mean, very gruesome stuff, <laughs> like, for a five-year-old to absorb. But I, I think it was, that was the moment when I became, like, this walking... Um, vessel of like Armenian trivia and knowledge. Yeah. So like the next day, like if anyone ever made fun of my name on this playground in American schools, I'd be like, well, you know who Armenians are? Noah's Ark, no. man. And you wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for the Armenian people. And, you know, like you become like this uh, amateur lecturer. Well, you have history. to. Again, like I probably went through the same thing. Uh, just trying to, because you have to explain everything and then uh, then you get to tie it into the Armenian genocide and explain all that. So, yeah. Uh, well, anyways, um, thanks again for... I'm really glad you're here, Ardashes. Sure. Thank you. I'm uh, glad to be here. Thank you. You guys are doing good work. No, of course, you too. Uh, and speaking of which, um, you know, I actually want to start this talk with, you know, your first election. Now, you was your first public election uh, city clerk for... It was actually my first public election was in middle school. 
Oh, oh <laughs> was nice. Running for, um, and that's not to say that like I was a, a politically hungry, power hungry kid <laughs> from a young age. <laughs> but, destined you know, young I, age. I, I, you know, I, you know, people will say, "Oh, you're a politician." I always correct them and say, "I'm a public servant." Mm-hmm. Um, my parents have both both been educators and scientists. They're environmental chemists. My mom taught chemistry. Nice. Some of your listeners, I don't know me, or may not. She taught for many years in Glendale, so a lot of folks went to Hoover or Clark Magnet, mm-hmm. um, had her for chemistry and AP chemistry. And, you know, they always taught us kind of like what's that line in Spider-Man, like uh, Uncle Ben says, to those to whom, mm-hmm. to those who have great power, much is expected, or you have to those who much is given, much is expected in return. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of the philosophy, to always volunteer and, uh, you know, participate. So I didn't think of it as being a student leader as much as I thought of being a student servant. I ran for office and I lost my first election um, pretty resoundingly. Um, And uh, then uh, my friends convinced me to run again. And I remember I got up on stage and, you know, back then, the the way non-Armenians pronounce my name, because I always made everyone call me by my full name. So they Mm -hmm. called me Ardashis. So um, they announced the office I was running for, and this was in, like, 1990, 1991. So it was right when you had this influx of immigrants from Mm -hmm. Armenia. There was this interesting dynamic in Glendale where you had a lot of Hayastansis who had Mm -hmm. come post-earthquake, post-Soviet collapse. And, uh, you know, they would be called all sorts of terrible names and epithets Mm -hmm. like Faber, fresh off the boat or whatever. Oh, I've been there. And so I'm up on this stage... Um, it's like seventh or eighth grade, and uh, Mr. Kohlmeyer, who was the <laughs> ASB, whatever um, rep said, and for this office, first candidate is Ardashis Kasakian, <laughs> right? And then out of the darkness, I can't see anyone in the audience because the stage is flooded with lights. I hear someone say, Aper Haya, right? And all no of a sudden, like, there's like this like, roar of applause <laughs> from like this contingent. Well, because you, you just know? moved to like uh, LA at that point, probably a few years before, right? This is no, I- I'd been in LA since, yeah, but, uh, probably like five years before. Before that, years. you guys were in Boston, yeah. correct? Well, uh, born in Boston, lived in New Jersey, mm. lived in Canada for a while, lived in Hyaston for two years. Oh, no way. Really? Oh, no way. Yeah. Oh. Um, but that's awesome, though, that Aper <laughs> That's so funny. You'll never forget it. <laughs> so, so like, Armenians have been backing me in my elections since middle school. Oh, that's beautiful. Said. That's what we like. And, and I still have a lot of friends, like some who work in the city, who've known me from middle school and remember those days that many of them have gone on to do great things in yeah. all sorts of fields, in medicine, in science, in that's education. Awesome. But it was, it was a very difficult time for them. And I think that's, like, at that moment and in middle school, I saw myself as a bridge between... Hmm. the American culture and those who are trying to fit into that. That's great. And find their place. Um, No, so I I do want to ask maybe like your post-university, your first election (laughs) as well, but I did want to actually ask, you know, when I was applying to jobs, I remember thinking like, is Hyg too like random of a name? Uh, Because I live in Orange County, they they don't know Hygs. I mean, and you do have Artie as, you know, something easier for people to say, Mm -hmm. but, you know, what would be your opinion on like, I don't know, whitewashing ourselves to be to get win an election or to like be uh, you know to get that job uh i'm not sure if it actually makes a difference if maybe it's just something we're thinking of in our heads so i don't have an answer to that yeah right um i remember when i would consider it or i would talk about it i don't know for whatever reason as a child in my naivete i was always drawn to the name arthur because it was like it started like <laughs> but it was still a kingly or royal name but it's so much more common but, you know, I had one kid, um, a Vietnamese uh, kid who was a couple years older than me in high school, 
we had geometry class, and his name was Francois, Francois Nguyen, and he's like, mm -hmm. why do you not like our dashes? He's like, when people say John, you have to say which John. When people say, right. you know, and Fred, you have to explain which Fred names. it is. Like, there's no other Ardashes in this school. You're the only Ardashes. That's great. Mm -hmm. So that was one thing that kind of always stuck with I used me. to say the same thing. But, but it is difficult. I will tell you, if you were to do an experiment and put, like, a name like Ardashes Kasachian on a job resume and put, like, uh, Jack Gene Smith John, or Jack John, whatever, on a resume and send them out. I think that not just for Armenians, of course, this has been proven with African Americans who have different non Anglicized names, yeah. <clears throat> or even Asians yeah. who often shorten or adapt Americanized names. There is something for that. So, I mean, I'm not here to judge anyone. There's certainly a whole generation of Armenians that came in the uh, century before, especially to Fresno, who sweet, uh, who shortened their name, like Shakaryan sh uh, shortened their name to Sweet yeah. or whatever, mm -hmm. and you have stories like that. Um, in a, if you're different times, different things. Also, like now it's a little bit more of an accepting space yeah. for the diversity and this and that. So. I mean, arose by any other name, right? Yeah. Like, you know, maintain your essence, call yourself whatever you want. I mean, Hayagan Hayanunov or Zibilen. There are Ach. Yeah, exactly. And then, then there are people who have, like, Americanized names who are do probably doing more more things for no, anyone than anyone else. I agree. I prefer Ardashes, so I appreciate you guys calling me Ardashes. No, I love it. And, I mean, everyone does have their quote-unquote white name, but uh, I've been very happy to see uh, that Ardashes is, uh, uh, you're loud and proud, so. Mm -hmm. um, Definitely. Yeah. Uh, but I did want to ask you about then, let's say your first real uh, campaign. Uh, real campaign. What, <laughs> yeah. It was city. Was I it know city? what you meant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was my first real campaign was city clerk. I mean, my first public campaign where I ran nice. for um, a public office where people went to polling places and voted was um, uh, for city clerk. And the reason I ran for city clerk was because, you know, that was in 2005. And going back to about six years before that, in 1999, there was an election in Glendale. There was a candidate. At that time, there was about 70,000 Armenians living in Glendale, but only less than 1,000 voted in elections. Damn. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, there was this candidate named Rafi Manukian. He was a CPA. Mm -hmm. um, no one had really heard of him outside of ANC circles because he was involved mm -hmm. in Glendale High Todd. Mm -hmm. And he decided to run for city council. Now, at the time, there was Larry Zarian who was on the council. But Zarian, who is um, now passed on, he's, mm -hmm. he's dead, but... Um, he was the first Armenian elected official on uh, Glendale City Council, but he hadn't gotten elected with Armenian votes. He got elected mm -hmm. by appealing to... General public. Um, yeah. yeah, and mm -hmm. you know, he actually, uh, I think someone even told me that his name, which I always thought was Zarian was his name, someone said, no, it's Lazarian, and mm -hmm. he shortened it to oh. Zarian. Right? So I'd be interested to know more about it. I have to ask his sons who are still alive and around. So anyways, Rafi Manukian jumps in a race. Mm -hmm. And no one gives him a chance. The Glendale News Press, which was an independently owned newspaper that covered all things Glendale, said that he was going to finish near dead last out of 13 candidates. And there was a reason for it. They didn't think Armenians were going to, they didn't think non-Armenians would vote for him. And they didn't think Armenians were going to turn out to vote for him. Mm -hmm. So at that time, we, we started registering Armenian voters because we saw uh, Adrian Nazarian, who was in, who's in the state assembly now, mm -hmm. was one of the organizers. He had spent quite a bit of time in politics. We had been at UCLA together. He was a year ahead of me. He had gone to go work for Congressman Brad Sherman and had worked on various campaigns. He had done this program called Coro. Mm -hmm. And he said, look, we have the votes, but they're not registered. So we got to make sure that they get registered. And at the time, you know, this community was very skeptical. Armenians are still generally skeptical, but even more so back then of participating in American politics. 
Um, the voting material was not in Armenian, so you're asking them to sign mm-hmm. things that they don't understand that are official documents, which mm-hmm. is already sus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so, um, and we translated the materials. We first of all went to the city and we said, look, we need this materials in Armenian. And they said, well, you guys are considered Caucasian and white, so, like, we're not uh-huh. going to translate. It's uh-huh. too expensive and, you know, tough luck. Go yeah. Pakistan. Mm. So... Um, Rafi Manukian says that that was a moment when I turned to him and supposedly said, like, I'm going to have that person's job one day who was the city clerk. Wow. And, <laughs> and I don't remember it as a, quite like that, but, you know. But there you go. I guess that's like the, or, the, the hmm. um, you know, Steve Jobs origin story. Um, so years later when that position became uh, open, I ran for that position because I believe that elections are the number one way how mm-hmm. Americans can get involved in the democratic process. Right. We have a responsibility here in this country to be engaged. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to make sure that everyone, Armenian or otherwise, who lives in this city, pays taxes, who has the right to vote, at least understands what they're voting on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so um, I ran. I was 27, I think, when I started the campaign. I was 28 when I officially got elected. And wow. um, I, I think I was the youngest person elected to... Um, public office in Glendale. I, I don't know if anyone has verified that, but I hope that that record is broken by wow. someone soon. I mean, someone Armenian. I mean, were you impressive. were you nervous? <laughs> well, I mean, were, not nervous, but like, were you confident? Like, this is in the bag, or, <laughs> or, or like, not at like, all. Hey, why not? Let's not at a shot all. Kind of thing, right? Not at all. Not at all. I mean, because we had run so many successful camp. By that point, we had had mm-hmm. Armenians on the school board, on a college board. We kind of had hit a rhythm. So we knew that we got, you know, we we came up with this phrase with Rafi Hamparian at the ANC, the educate, motivate, activate, yeah. came kind of out of this movement, right? You first in- educate people as to why they need to vote. You you motivate them as to why it's important for them to participate. And then you activate them. You give them something actionable to do. Um, and once we had hit that, we knew that rhythm. We knew we were solid. We knew we could win most campaigns. Yeah. And to this day, I think fundamentally... Um, And I don't want this to come across as bragging, but I can, you know, having been exposed to it, having looked at races, you you develop kind of the sixth sense as to what will work and what doesn't Mm -hmm. work. Uh, It's like anything. I mean, I think there is um, a couple of Malcolm Gladwell podcasts and essays on that. You do something enough times, you develop kind of an expertise. Mm -hmm. The 10,000 hours thing, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. I'm sure. Just like you guys are awesome at doing this podcast, right? (laughs) Thank you. So... (laughs) Um, the, we had that confidence, but we also had this concern. I've always had. I mean, you always have to run like you're going to lose. Yeah. I truly believe that. People say that and they don't know what that means, mm. but I think that fear is a great motivator. <laughs> Maybe fear is not that word, but you know that feeling that <laughs> you get you like the night before your 15-page essay is due and you've only written half a paragraph? Yeah. And, 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 and yeah, the, the procrastinator. The pressure. Yeah. It can like, pr- you know, yeah. potentially create a diamond there. I mean, yeah. it, could, it could do good. But, but you know, I, I will say this, that even now, even today, after mm-hmm. having been in office for as long as I have or served as long as I have and been involved in politics, I mean, I can never seem to get rid of the imposter uh, syndrome. Wow. Like, you know, I, I sometimes, there are mornings I'll wake up and I'll be like, what oh, is going I? on? <laughs> who am I? Why am I here? <laughs> like, oh, wow. you know, because I, and I think that's, that's also healthy. I look at that as something that gives me strength because I'm always trying to learn something new every day yeah. and improve and, 
No, and, and, hey, and learn something from everyone I meet. I'm fact. sure. Wow, I'm sure it won't be your last election too. And Susanna, we like, hope not. I was talking to Susanna earlier. I mean, she's interested in this stuff too. You're like, maybe you'd run for office one of these days, right? I mean, uh, that'd uh, be awesome. We need more women in office. Uh, hopefully, the, the thing is, see, like, I'm in medicine. I'm an aspiring physician, but at UCI, I did international relations, and my goal was, um, I was hoping that in the future I can further my education in international relation and international law. And I was hoping maybe I can work for an intergovernmental organization where I could advocate for Armenian causes. But we will have to see how that goes. Yeah. And I actually wanted to ask you what started your interest in politics. See, like uh, you started running for office in middle school, but what made you decide that? Oh, I want to run for like, an office for a city. So. Um, you know, as far as how I knew, it wasn't as much as, like, you don't wake up one day. So I get people to come and ask me. They say, well, I'm, I want to run for office. Or how do I get to run for office? Or mm-hmm. what do you do? And I, I give everyone this answer, that if your goal is to run for office, you probably should not be in politics. Your goal should be to effectuate and impact and make actual change in this mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. If you can find the issue that you're most passionate about mm-hmm. and work on that, and if it intersects with the opportunities to run for office, which, you know, there, there, you will find times when it will, then you'll find yourself on the same, on the similar path as I did. Yeah. What got me involved in politics and what got me interested, first of all, as Armenians, I don't think there is an Armenian in the world. We also say we hate politics. Mm-hmm. What it is is Armenians hate partisan politics, but Armenians are political animals by nature. Yeah, we mm-hmm. are. We all have an opinion, mm-hmm. first of yeah. all. Yeah, and just where, where Armenia <laughs> is situated, where we have diaspora and communities, mm-hmm. you can't help but be interested in what's happening in the world and what affects what and, you know, what's happening in either the Ukraine or Syria. I mean, it impacts Armenians everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. So by nature, we're political animals, mm-hmm. and we are definitely opinionated. <laughs> yes. But, you know, we, we shy away from engaging in um, other areas of politics, and we can get into that later. But I would, for me, the most important thing was participation. You know, having grown mm-hmm. up in this country in a democratic system of government, it's what ended up happening. I mean, there's kind of this, I'll bounce around a little bit, but I was at UCLA. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a history major. Nice. Um, prior to that, actually, I was a chemistry major because I was Armenian and I was, um, <laughs> you know, if I was going to find myself a wife, I had to be either pre-law or pre-med. <laughs> yeah. So those were the only career options that my parents had made available to me. And mm-hmm. I decided I would go maybe pre-pharmacy. I don't know. I, 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 start, I got into UCLA as a chemistry major and I quickly realized I don't oh. like chemistry. Oh. You're braver than I am. I wanted to do the history thing. I went business because they were like, you got to do business at least. <laughs> I, I don't know. know. You know, in hindsight, I don't know if my parents... I went totally rogue. I was like, I like history. I took an Armenian history. Mm-hmm. It was funny. I, there was this catalog. We used to have these printed catalogs for classes and I saw Armenian history being offered in it and I was so excited. Nice. That's so know, cool. like, so I went to my dad and I was like, look, they're teaching Armenian history at UCLA. Isn't that mm-hmm. cool? And my dad looked at it and he's like, that's Richard Hovhannisyan who's teaching that class. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's the foremost person in Armenian history. He's like, he's someone that we've known from our days in Boston when he would come and give lectures and looked at me and he's like, you will take that class. Yeah. <laughs> and, he's wow. like, and he's like, uh, and if you don't get an A, don't bother coming home. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and I was like, and, and I was like, but you know why? He's like, look, he goes, take that class because mm-hmm. you know you didn't get a chance to go to an Armenian school. We didn't mm-hmm. send you to an Armenian private school. I went to public school my whole life. And he said, mm-hmm. you know, college is your time to like learn and expand your horizons. And 
you know, True. this is going to be your opportunity to learn about your people's history. You may never get another opportunity like this again. Mm-hmm. At an advanced level, yeah. like we go to Armenian school, I mean, we, we get the basics. So you could like look up on Wikipedia, like going and learning in Richard's class. I mean, that's that's I, I'm very jealous. It was it was a solid, solid experience because you learn a lot and you learn that our history is, you know, what we are taught as children is steeped in mythology, right? Like yeah. ten foot tall Sasunsi Davids shooting mm-hmm. lightning bolts out of their eyes mm-hmm. out of our end to, at our enemies, uh, and then you like get into the actual history, and you're like, no, this is a really crappy history. Like mm-hmm. we are professionals at stabbing each other in the back yeah. and, and just making the absolute wrong decision. And the fact that we've survived <laughs> this long is an absolute miracle. It's a goddamn I it's miracle. Be, I say because we're not so we're not united at all. That's why we survived. Uh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. the decentralization. They can't get us all together. Hundred percent, hundred percent. That is facts. <laughs> that is facts. So mm-hmm. I took the history class, and then I got more involved in Armenian things there. I kind of got went through this personal cultural awakening. I'm getting to a point, Sudan. Don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. What, what, what ends up happening is um, my second senior year at UCLA. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took the scenic route out of college. I find out that the Turks are establishing, the Turkish Republic oh. is establishing this chair of Turkish studies. We wanted to yeah. ask you about that. So that's like how uh, that leads, you know, my activism in trying to raise awareness and, mm-hmm. and put a stop to the university uh, entering into that um, relationship mm-hmm. leads me to an internship in Washington, D.C. Um, when I get to Washington, D.C., I see that there are not a lot of Armenians mm-hmm. involved in politics in wa- in the nation's capital, and by the nation's capital, in mm-hmm. arguably the world's most powerful nation's capital, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then you come back to Glendale after being exposed to that. It's almost like coming out of, like, the cave and, mm-hmm. you know, seeing the light, and then you're forced back into the cave. You know, I don't want to call Glendale a cave. I love Glendale. <laughs> but then you come back and you see people playing tavlu in the parks or, you know, Nardi mm-hmm. and wringing their hands and complaining about politics, and you're like, well... How can you complain if you're not even participating in the decision-making process? Everyone is in D.C. Every community, every group has their representatives, has their young Mm -hmm. soldiers marching in the halls of Congress as interns. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a reason why, like, you know, Latinos, Jewish Americans, African Americans Mm -hmm. are able to have more of a voice. I mean, Mm -hmm. they still have challenges themselves to overcome, but they have more of a voice than you do because you're not even on the playing field. So don't even complain about the rules of the game. So this is what, like, mid-2000s? This was, yeah, this was actually 2000. Because a lot has changed now. Both uh, Armenian American Assembly and A are working on this. No, they do great work. And I mean, like, we have a lot of congressmen that are very good friends with now. Yeah. I mean... Well, uh, and we've we've had a lot back then, too, and I would actually say that we had more friends back then. Oh, really? We've kind of slacked in that regard. Mm -hmm. Not for lack of work, but we have great challenges as a community. And um, for every success we have, for every innovation we develop, um, we have to realize that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction from some of the adversaries that right. we have, whether it's the oil lobby or Turkish or Azeri interests or pro-Israel interests that don't align with Armenian interests because we also have many friends in Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah. Nice. Well, so I think it's cool that it was this, uh, not just the Armenian class, but this Armenian issue, let's say, it happened at school or with the Turkish uh, 
um, trying to start a what was it a program? There, it was the Republic of Turkey was going to donate one point five million dollars. If you can, if you can imagine the irony and the what the yeah, they, short is chutzpah or, or they the, did it on purpose. Yeah, yeah. exactly. One point five million dollars to UCLA to establish a chair of modern Turkish or Ottoman Turkish studies. And you stopped, wow. and they, and you guys were successful in stopping that. The ASA yeah, we were. It was a pretty. It was it was probably my first taste of real real activism. That's cool. Mm. Um, and it wasn't like planned. You know, I think that year our ASA was more interested in the Big Bear trip, trip and, yeah. and, and still know, is. I've yeah, the right yeah. and who's gonna bring the meat? And was it, was it gonna be from Dubin Market or yeah. was it gonna be from Garabal Meat Market? Those were like you know our Armenian ASA problems, right? And then all of a sudden one one day we were told by our instructors, and at the time we had another brilliant brilliant Armenian professor there, um, Stepan Asturian, who's now at Berkeley, mm-hmm. um, who was a friend and mentor. You know, uh, him and Hovanesian separately, they called us in and they're like, look, uh, uh, we have a problem. You know, we, we need have, to stop this. We now. have this, the Turkish Republic. We had Stanford Shah, who was a mm-hmm. very notable and notorious Armenian genocide denier, very uh, one of the people in Ottoman Turkish studies who was at UCLA. Mm-hmm. He was going to retire, and his parting legacy from UCLA was to solidify his um, versions of history by ensuring that someone who shared his views succeeded him. And that was when the Republic of Turkey offered this money to the university. And it wasn't that, you know, and I've said this publicly, I said it in newspaper interviews at the mm-hmm. time, I said, my issue wasn't with the fact that it was going to be an Ottoman Turkish, because look, the, the study of Ottoman history, if you're mm-hmm. studying it, you're studying also Armenian the lives history. of Armenians yeah, or yeah, anyone yeah. in the Balkans or any of the Arab people that were mm-hmm. subjects. The Ottoman Empire was an empire. Yeah, But what this chair was doing was putting restrictions on it. It was the the holder of the chair uh, had to be approved by a committee which the Turkish consulate had a representative on with Mm -hmm. absolute veto power. Uh, It had to be an academic who had friendly relations with academic circles within Turkey. Mm -hmm. This is during time of Section 301, um, which criminalized mention of the genocide, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Needless to say, there were so many strings attached to this thing, it looked like a Turkish-controlled, you know, marionette puppet. It was going to be a propaganda machine for them, yeah. No, that's that's awesome, and and I love that that was like a catalyst for you. Um, And uh, and I mean, as youth that we've been in AYF our whole lives and Mm -hmm. going to protest, I mean, this is uh, a lot of us might have those experiences as well where you're, you know, this but, is. But all. here's where the most important thing for AYFers and anyone who's a young activist listening to take away from this story because mm-hmm. it is now kind of history. I think back, we were talking before we started recording, and I was, some things we were talking about, I'm like, man, that was like 20 years ago, right? Uh, I'm old. <laughs> but at that time, no one thought we would ever be able to successfully stop that chair. Like, we were a group of ragtag student activists. Mm. Like I said, we had, you know, Armenian ASA problems. Like, it was like our concerns were totally distanced and far. Mm. Our minds were the furthest thing away from getting politically active and loud uh, on campus. And, you know, we went to a couple of organizations. We tried to seek their help. You know, we needed advice. We had never done this before. And Mm -hmm. most of them said, why do you guys want to fight this? We found out about it. It's too late. It's a done deal. Worry about the next time. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. how are you going to withstand, like, the massive Turkish lobby? You know, Mm -hmm. $1.5 million is a ton of money. Like, you know, how's the university? Like, people equivocated and they rationalized their 
inaction. Yeah. Right? Which justified you see a lot it, of, yeah. they justified it and rationalized it in, in the same way many people are doing now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it came to, to this moment where I was like, you know, Braveheart, I think, was a popular movie back mm-hmm. then, right? And you start thinking about, like, That's some right. of the, the one of the lines in Braveheart about sitting, you know, in old age and wondering what you did back then. And, Aww. you know, I thought to myself, if I'm older and my kid turns to me and sees that there's this Turkish chair at UCLA that's putting out all sorts of denialist crap and says, yeah. hey, Pops, what did you do when you were a student there? Mm-hmm. And I say nothing. And that was when, like, me and my friends, uh, you know, Pedro Zarokian, Vace Petrosian, uh, shout-outs to them, the Abulians, uh, RB, uh, you know, Ohio. We were just thinking to ourselves, we said, you know what, even if we... Fail. Fail will have done something. Yeah, like, like we, we are, we are, our goal was to make their lives, even if they succeeded, we wanted to make it so difficult for them that mm-hmm. any other university that was approached by the Turkish government would be like, this is toxic. We don't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. This is an issue that is going to you know, open a whole can of worms. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Oh, yeah. Our progress cannot be subject to singular goals, and you went after it, and you tackled it very well. Yeah. Yeah. I always say, like, you know, what type of Armenian are you going to be? If you were uh, Vartanan's battle, you're going up against a 300,000 Persian horde of an army that's 10 times bigger. Are you going to run from battle or... Fight to the uh, death, you know. Um, Vartan Var- Var- Ans is a sore subject with yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, we don't I, talk about I, I am not. A, I am not a Vartan Mamigonian fan. We'll get this up for this. We episode. can talk about <laughs> Armanches. <laughs> no, no, no. So, so I'll just tell you this. My, my two cents on it is: we worship Vartan Mamigonian, who went on a suicide mission, when we should be praising Kyle Vahan, his nephew. <laughs> who survived the battle and then carried on decades-long guerrilla warfare against the Persians. Actually, probably the first recorded hi- in history mm-hmm. uh, uh, guerrilla warfare, warfare mm-hmm. tactic to the point where it brought the Persians to their knees and they said, okay, we give yeah. up. Worship whoever you want, Christ or whoever. Just please don't like us this. this yeah. Yeah. Hey, but how were they able to keep the people going for those 30 years? Well, they had to create a symbol behind his sure. uncle. Sure. Uh, <laughs> so both are necessary. Sorry for poking a hole in your thing. I'm kidding. No, no, that's totally... <laughs> listen, we're going to... But I, 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 I appreciate Vartan Mamigonian. But I, I agree, you know, though. He is a saint. It was a great sacrifice. But mm-hmm. we should also remember the people who carry on the struggle. I agree. Succeed. Of course. And we too often don't. We get hung up on this moral victory. Well, a lot of the times people like the, the nephew and a lot of us who work in the background, I mean, we're not doing it for the glory at the end of the day, you know. So we, don't, we could care less about if people remember us or not. You know, we just want to see the outcome be what we want. Amen. Uh, so, mm-hmm. uh, but I agree. And shout out to Vahan. Was it Vahan? Kyle, Kyle Vahan, the Kyle Wolf Vahan. Shield. Kyle I mean, Vahan. tell me, like, is there a, a, a more badass name than the Wolf Shield? Uh, Ashot Yerkat. Ashot Yerkat is, is, is cool, pretty, too. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I like Ashot Yerkat. So, anyways. <laughs> we have great folks. Tommy Bay. Yeah. We have Guitar Sparrow. Like, oh, yeah. These great nicknames. Uh, Artashes, we know that you um, you were a key player uh, for the ANCA Gateway program. Can you please talk a little bit about that and how you sure. uh, helped uh, execute that idea? So, I mean, this, again, goes back to my time in Washington, D.C., and seeing, mm-hmm. like, how small the contingency was of staffers on the Hill and realizing that if we wanted to actually have... Um, real policy and legislative success on the Hill, it wasn't enough just to walk into those buildings as a guest on lobby or activist day, but to have our folks working there, understanding the process and explaining it to us. And there were many people at the time um, 
you know, there was at least uh, half a dozen or so very committed Armenian uh, political staffers. Rafi Hamparian was actually one of them, working for Congressman Rothman from New Jersey. Oh, nice. And uh, I did the internship for the Armenian Assembly um, because at the time, the ANC internship, you interned for the ANC offices, and mm-hmm. um, I had been offered an internship after the success the success we had at UCLA of blocking the acceptance of the chair. Um, Good on your resume, huh? Yeah, well, <laughs> so, you know, one, one thing I didn't mention is that the way that chair was blocked is, first of all, we did a lot of activism, wrote articles, held protests, you know, crashed, flash mobbed at various town halls, mm-hmm. um, nice. and... Uh, the actual vote, whether to accept that, came down to a vote from within the history department of the faculty. And it was a closed-door meeting. It was a rainy day. It was like, I want to say December 17, if I remember correctly. Um, and campus was closed, but this meeting was happening. We went down there, just three or four of us. We were waiting the whole time. We didn't know what was going on. And then Professor Alvanissian came out of the room, called us into his office. We went in, and he's like, well... By a vote of 18 to 17, the department has voted to reject the offer from wow. the Republic of Turkey. And we were like, one vote? Really? It was that close? Like, imagine if one person had woken yeah. up that morning with a porazov, like, or pork shuk, and did not come to that, like, meeting. Like, we would have been yeah. toast. And so, wow. like, realizing at that mo- moment that being there, being on the field, um, matters, right? Yeah. Showing up matters. And mm-hmm. so, after that, when I, um, uh, Frank Pallone, Congressman Pallone from yeah. New Jersey, um, I was at a, a meeting that someone had set up. Um, I think it was folks from the assembly, and he, I was introduced to him, and he, they explained to him what I did. He's like, hey, come to Washington, D.C. I want you to intern for me. And I didn't have any money. I didn't have, like, you know, the resources. It was going to be time away from family. I was kind of on the fence. And um, a friend told me, when a congressman personally offers you an internship, mm-hmm. You don't be stupid about it. You just take the internship. We'll figure out a way. Well, on the we'll streets, you got to do it. Yeah, so I kind of did. I, yeah. I took nice. some time off of UCLA. I saved up money. I worked, like, two jobs. I made enough money to be able to live for two months in Washington, D.C., nice. and I did that. Wow. And, and that's when I saw that we didn't have enough Armenians mm. working there. So that was constantly on my mind. And came back here to L.A., which was surreal. We had in Washington, D.C., real issues related to Hayastan, related to Artsakh. And you come back here and, you know, Hollywood and L.A. can be somewhat superficial when you look at the bigger problems that are going on in L.A. Like, you know, the Oscars are one of the biggest things that happen here in L.A. Like in D.C., no one cares about the Oscars, right? It's about the next, you know, budget cycle or, Mm -hmm. you know, the press conference that's going to happen at the Pentagon or the White House. And um, I, I, I put my mind to, like, you know, we need to get organized here. We need to get organized and active. And that's when I realized... You know, well, I started talking to folks as to, you know, I, I went back the following year. I went, I worked in Washington, D.C. two successive summers oh, and nice. a spring. And it was, I, I came back with this mission that we need to get organized, we need to get active, and we need to get more Armenians to D.C., however it takes. Yes. If we, you know, my mindset was if we can cycle through every year about 30 or 40 or 50 Armenians who are exposed to the process, who also come out of that cave and see that light, and they come back and they inform more people, then mm-hmm. we will get to a point where we have enough folks who understand the process, understand the system, and we train like this army of activists mm-hmm. that can make real change. And I have to say, Ardashes, like having many friends who've done the program, mm-hmm. and or what you know, even if it's another program, they've done this DC thing, and it, you know, a lot of them have stayed, a lot of them love it, uh, a lot of them have gone back home and 
become yeah. active. So mm-hmm. uh, that was an amazing contribution and idea. I'm really happy we have that opportunity now. Like, if anyone's listening, uh, if you're interested in working in D.C., the ANCA has a capital gateway program where they can house you for, I think, free yeah. for a few months, yeah. and, yeah. and they'll help you network yeah. and get a job and uh, internship. Yeah. And uh, especially if you want to work on the Hill, that's yeah. what they love. So so Rafi Hamparian, Steve Didian, who were active in the ANCA in the Western region at the time, who I consider great friends and mentors, along with people like Alex Sardar and Vikan Sonens Papazian, um, you know, they've been great friends and people I've interacted with. I, and, and you know, I can't forget two, two greatest influences in my life as far as Armenian activism and um, just awareness are my mm-hmm. parents, right? So my grandfather, my father's father, was someone who studied in Paris. My dad always told me the story of in Paris when he went to the, the uh, L'Ecole Centrale, which was one of their top architecture schools. Um, he, he lived in a dormitory in Paris called Maison Armenienne, the mm. Armenian house. Nice. And it was a dormitory, and I don't know who built it, but it's still there today. I have, like, three friends that are there right now. At Maison Armenienne? It must be, because no, they're all, like, they're academics, and they're all living in the Armenian house. So if you look at pictures of this online, it has beautiful Armenian, like, accents on the architecture. It has, like, nurs and, like, wow. rukhalos and peacocks. Oh, I wish it and and it's an old building. It's been there, I think, since the turn of the last century. Mm. And it was designed as a dormitory for Armenian students from around the world who were going to come to Paris to study at some of the top universities in the in the yes. globe, right? And it didn't matter if you were Hunchak, Tashnag, Ramgavar. If mm-hmm. you were an Armenian and you were in Paris, this was a place where you could live, meet other Armenians, maybe Not meet sure. a future I spouse, do. right? Yeah. Um, have arguments, you know, but have parties as well. And it became this incubator for, like, Armenian intellectual mm-hmm. entrepreneurship. I love it. Um, nice. And so he told me this idea, and I'm like, why do we not have this? I mean, the main challenge we had of getting people to D.C. at the time, this was, by the way, a totally different era than the one that your listeners are listening to. This was a time when if you were an Armenian living in Glendale and you got into UC Riverside, you didn't move to Riverside. You commuted to Riverside <laughs> or to Irvine, by that, the way. That was me. Yeah. I and so, because like Armenian kids were banned from moving out. Like even UC, like, stu- like you're from Glendale, but you live in a dorm in UCLA. What's wrong with you, right? Like you had to drive. <laughs> so like drive and suffer like your ancestors <laughs> suffered on the 405. Um and so, oh you know, when we would talk, I would talk to, like, parents because I had the opportunity to interact and, and with Armenian parents or even kids. I'd be like, why won't you do, like, go to Washington, mm. D.C. or New York for an internship? And they're like, because, well, the parents would be like, my kid will get, will become lost. We'll, we'll die. Yeah. <laughs> he'll become, he'll be, he will come back with, like, 12 piercings, a yeah. forehead tattoo, married to a non-Armenian. And, like, you know, they're going to be <laughs> lost. It was like, if they, le- I mean, there's this. And it's probably like some sort of survival thing, right, from the yeah. trauma that's been yeah. passed on. So the alternate to that was like, okay, well, what if they're living with Armenians? What if we, like, create mm. opportunities for them to meet other Armenians, yeah. right? So like, mm, now we know, can give it a thought. Yeah, they could meet someone. <laughs> and, and that was the birth between Maison Armenian and that concept and those conversations I had was nice. the birth of the idea of the Capital Gateway Program. So were you executive director of you were executive director of the ANCA Western Region at one point, right? For yeah, I was. I was. I was a government relations director for many years, and we didn't have an executive director. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I was. Uh, I was the <laughs> executive director. I was a custodian. I was the treasurer. I, I wore many hats, oh. and then eventually my title officially was promoted to nice. executive director. But this was after your experience in DC, right? And yeah. you came back, and you're involved in that. I mean, other than the the did we talk about the main issue? 
issues? What were the, like some of the main issues you were working on at that point? I guess more briefly. Uh, but With what was, high yeah. dot. Yeah, what well, was going on I mean, it then? was a lot of the same stuff. Obviously, we're in a different... Now is a very unique time, but it was Artsakh, yeah. recognition of Artsakh, aid yeah. to Artsakh. Um, aid, continuing foreign aid to Armenia, because Armenia had, you know, was still struggling in a post-Soviet um, mm-hmm. world economy space. Um, raising awareness about um, Section 907, the Freedom Support Act, which um, put restrictions on countries that blockaded the mm-hmm. transfer of humanitarian aid to Armenia. Yeah. Right. Which we've heard some some stuff about of late. It was mm-hmm. revived. Um, you know, bolstering that, protecting that, those were all things that we were um, nice. active in. And, um, you know, it was... Post nine eleven too, so there was a lot of questions about where Armenia was, how, you know, convincing people that Armenia was at the forefront of the fight against some of this um, fundamentalist, violent um, terrorism that was rocking that part of the world. Yeah, mm-hmm. true. Yeah, we 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 have given more Armenians have died in that fight. I mean, especially if you consider the genocide, right? I mean, one of the lines that we would use with some of the more conservative mm-hmm. congressmen in Washington, D.C., who you know claim to be um, uh, proponents of Christian values. We'd say, look, Armenians are, that's the only genocide in history where people were killed for being Christian, right? right? So if you're claiming to be a person who's standing up for Christian values, how mm-hmm. can you be also denying or aiding those who deny that mm-hmm. genocide? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I mean, yeah. I do see that angle right now with ANCA trying to work with in defense of Christians. But even if, especially after this Artsakh war, I really feel like a lot of this talk about it, whether it's people talking about Christian values or human rights in this. I mean, it, it, to me, it's it's all words now. It's I, you know, I don't see the action behind any of it. So, well, and, uh, I mean, but yeah. you're not going to see. It's, but you're still yeah. going to play the game. You're still going to try your best to like, uh, uh, um, you know, get these people on your side and assist Armenia. Let's the say, the but, last year the last two years i think have been the loneliest for me and i'm sure a lot of your listeners as an armenian as an armenian american Mm -hmm. i've never felt more alone in my life on this planet even though i know there are other armenians who share my emotions there were times during the months of that war and even today where you're just floating you're just existing you're taking in oxygen yeah um but you're not you don't feel like I couldn't feel. I didn't feel like present wherever I was, whether I was at work or wherever. I think that's what you're getting at. It's like I didn't. Uh... I definitely understand how you have been feeling this past two years because I've been feeling the same way. Um, I was a true believer in United Nations mission, and I still partially do. Um, but after seeing what was happening in Armenia, and after seeing that UN was not taking any preventative measures or was not getting involved whatsoever that really made me question a lot of things and even I was part of a um, United Nations Association chapter here in Pasadena but now I'm like what am I being a part of if in time of crisis they're not are they're not willing to help and they're not willing to uphold the human rights that they're always talking about no same I agree no I lost a lot of faith too I was working in human rights stuff and uh, you know why are we trying to and it's not only, uh, unfortunately, it's not only UN. It's also well, it's all of it. Amnesty International, Human Rights yeah. Watch. You know, they put out an article which is yeah. already like kind of both sides. But anyways, um, uh, it doesn't matter. The the work continues. We're not gonna, uh, you know, we're gonna be the. Uh, unfortunately, child, it does you know. matter. But I guess no, yeah, as I Armenians, we have to grow so strong that we won't mm. rely at some point on anyone else's help. Exactly. So there is. I'm. I'm now. You, I'm. You have to be. 
very committed mm-hmm. to the point where other people will think your commitment is equal to being somewhat imbalanced in the head, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll give you one example, right? And I, I say this to a lot of folks about the ARF and what people who were committed to the ideals of the ARF mm-hmm. um, uh, kind of believed and stood for. So for those, you know, nowadays it's interesting because everyone is like this uh, overnight political expert and <laughs> has a lot to say about a lot of things, right? And what's unfortunate to me, and I've made a few comments about this online, and I try not to delve too much into it because mm-hmm. I, I also don't want to criticize people who have become more interested and more active in uh, the world of politics, geopolitics, and mm-hmm. Armenian politics specifically. But you do need to read history. Like, mm-hmm. history mm-hmm. and political science and political analysis go hand in hand. Because, Definitely. first of all, history reverberates. It, it's repeated multiple times. Mm-hmm. And if it's not in Armenia, you look at other examples, there's always parallels to draw on. It's like a blueprint of, like, mm-hmm. what to do and yeah. what there is. But, but even within our own history, even if you go back to the 19th century um, 18th century, you look at even the Gharabah, Artsakh, specifically what was happening in those areas, mm-hmm. um, a lot of similarities in Sunik mm-hmm. um, and the struggles to secure mm-hmm. the security and independence of the people mm-hmm. in those areas. Do you mean like David Beck and those stories? And yeah, like absolutely. I mean, that's history, but I'll, yeah. I'll even take it to, like, I'm going to take it one step further and say, look, in 1988, actually mm-hmm. 1987, let's go 87, 86, mm-hmm. if you ask any, Amer- any political expert Anyone who has all the PhDs, all the titles, who, you know, if they had, if it was today, they would have podcasts and they would have, like, YouTube videos and ask them, how much longer is the Soviet Union going to be in existence? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're like, what do you mean? It's going to be in existence for a long time. Mm -hmm. It will be, you know, or or maybe a more cynical person would say 50 years, right? Mm -hmm. Another half century until we can win the Cold War. It was the second Um, biggest empire in the world at that time. And what happened between 87 to 89 like from 89 to 90 there was no Soviet Union anymore yeah. mm-hmm. and yet you know if at that time in the US you had people who were you know uh, proponents of an Angach Azad Hayastan you had a lot of Armenians who were like no listen Soviet Armenia is what we got that's what we got to support like Kesh Kamlav Soviet Agan Gamvoch like Meir Hayanik which I get that view yeah. as well mm-hmm. but the people that were like jojeling like yeah queens like at rallies were seen as insane yeah right yeah. yet it was because of that radicalism or that idealism i would rather say yeah that when the vacuum occurred when soviet union collapsed and there was no safety net armenia was abandoned it was those people who had the vision of an independent armenia who were ready to step into those roles who mm-hmm. were able to go and fight in the first artsakh war and and pick up the slack for people mm-hmm. You know, and and it's a reminder. I mean, we have the words in our own in our own poems, right? In in the the song of Sadarabad, in the poem, mm-hmm. it says like mm-hmm. yel kujar hanar. Like yeah. when there's no other way, it's the crazy ones that find the mm-hmm. way. The great quote. And so, like <laughs> you know, we need more chens nowadays. We need mm-hmm. more people who are like, this is an unacceptable situation yeah. the dreamers and the the people that believe in the impossible yeah. but no uh, well what i wanted to actually say earlier when you were talking about some of the things that anc was working on i mean i remember going to protests as a kid and about that for the armenian genocide recognition and i remember people would be like it's never going to happen just give up on it like why are you going to go it's not going to happen it's not going to happen and i mean we stayed consistent we didn't give up on it and i mean it, they recognized it finally all these years later and it's it's frustrating to have to wait so long and do all that work for it but 
I mean, I remember at one point they were saying, don't even bother. And I mean, but then we eventually, you know, uh, succeeded. The truth always will win. Yeah. If you are committed to keeping it alive. Mm-hmm. If you start again rationalizing, equivocating, and, mm-hmm. and coming up with you know more convenient uh, positions, that's when you lose. But yeah. the truth, and especially historical facts, matter. If and and they're not ne- they're non-negotiable, and I think we need to remind ourselves of that every day. And I think right now we're, we're living in a space where, first of all, unfortunately, for whatever reason, there's a lot of people who are ready to criticize their own nation, their own people, and their own community within, I mean, this this goes back even a few years, you know, just saying, like, Armenia should do this better, Armenia should be doing that, and I'm like, you know what, like, Unless we, we, we played this democracy game, we tried <laughs> to be, like, Western, and mm-hmm. what did it get, Armenia? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you know, what what has it gone to the survival of this small nation tribe? Like, yeah. go peddle that stuff on Baku and Azerbaijan. Like, mm-hmm. you want democracy? You want, like, you know, um, the westernization of a society? Peddle it to that Petro dictatorship mm-hmm. uh, across the border. Like, like, we're barely surviving with what we have. Mm-hmm. There was, a, by the way, a great... so. Markar Melkonian, who's Monte Melkonian's yes. brother, yeah. um, he gave a talk about his book, My Brother's Road, yeah. um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, here in Glendale once. And what he said, like, you know, we kind of mythologize about Monte, and we have to remember, at the end of the day, he was a human, right? He was a very extraordinary human, mm-hmm. but he was still a person, right? With his flaws and, you know, good mm-hmm. points and bad points. But he said the one thing about his brother that was, like, so stark and different than the average person at that time Mm -hmm. and when you read like what his life experience was it reflects that is that a lot of us say things and it's just lip service like we'll say like oh i'm an environmentalist or i'm a vegan or i'm this but Mm -hmm. like do you truly like is that what your life is every day Mm -hmm. or do you find ways to cut corners on that like Mm -hmm. monte when he said things he believed it and he did it and he was committed to it he was a doer Yeah. yeah More than he, he truly believed it. Like, I, we know the stories, right? That he was, he totally banned, like, alcohol among his mm-hmm. troops. Um, mm-hmm. He, you know, was, like, a clean, he lived cleanly. Mazun mm-hmm. and, like, uh, exercise and all these things that, like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there, there's a lot of, again, nowadays, like, social media, like, warriors and all these folks. But, like, we need to, like, just be more self-disciplined, self-aware, and, and live the ideals that we espouse. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm guilty of it myself. Listen, I'm a, I'm a lazy omega. Easier, easier said than done, but no, you're right. And I think that's actually why a lot of people follow or <laughs> naturally follow people like Monte or Garagi Nijda or whatever. Because oh, these yeah. guys were people that, uh, you know... Uh, walk the talk. They were not just talking, and I think that's when Armenians are more respect- uh, receptive to, um, and they'll actually listen. Everyone's always talking. Everyone's always giving their opinion, but the second they'll actually, uh, you know, actually follow or believe in somebody's when they see them in action. But all those things. people you mentioned, by the way, all the people that we aspire to be like, or we think are, you know, people that have helped the survival of the Armenian nation. Mm-hmm. I mean, one can argue that we brought them down ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Or that, you know, there was some turn of events where we could have had their back and we didn't. So that's also a part of our, like, what we need to do within our Armenian community. You know, if this is like a moment of Ardashes' rules, like, we need to do a SWOT analysis of ourselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you guys know what a SWOT analysis is. is Strengths, weaknesses. Opportunities, uh, threats. Right? <laughs> so, like, we need to look at the Armenian community. We need to look at ourselves and say, what are our strengths? Aww. What are our weaknesses? Where are the opportunities? And what are our threats? And if we do that in an honest way, 
I think we'll have uh, a very yeah. long list. Well, yeah, definitely. But uh, that's actually – I know we're, like, talking about Monte a little bit here. and um, But he wrote a book, Self-Criticism, where they compiled a lot of his uh, memoirs that were, uh, I don't know, talking about – him criticizing his own actions and his own past and only until he criticized himself and nitpicked at all the things he did wrong did he actually do what he was all about from the beginning is go and liberate Armenian homeland and mm-hmm. do that so he he went to jail in the 80s he uh, wrote this yeah. self-criticism and when he got out he actually did what he wanted so I really think the self-criticism on our all our parts all our organizations all our friends and this mm-hmm. is huge but it's hard for Armenians to do that we have a lot of pride we're very stubborn and we'd oh, rather we're very die prideful. we'd rather so, ruin so, so I will <laughs> offer you guys a very interesting um, exercise to you and all your listeners to, to help you upon to start on that path. Um, yeah, we'll just keep going with this. Okay. I'm, th- I'm thinking we might make, turn this into like uh, Artie's advice or I don't even know. <laughs> no, 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 I mean, listen, no, 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 listen, I'm far from, like, I, I, no one should be taking uh, advice, but I'll, I'll, I will say this. This is, these are things that have worked for me or are in the process of working, right? Things we that want to hear it then. Yeah. Like I, as, as as morbid as this sounds, as dark as it sounds, is write out your own eulogy. What do you want like, to write, do? Write out, write out your write out your own obituary. Like write out. Imagine like you die, God forbid, today. What are people going to say? What do you want people to remember you for? Mm-hmm. Right. And I say that, and it's like when you say that, like you can think about it. But if you ever go and read obituaries in the paper, mm-hmm. which I sometimes do. <laughs> Right, um, and whether it's Armenian newspapers or others, like write your own, and you'll realize how frivolous our lives are, mm-hmm. and how little we actually commit to those things that we rally around when the time is. I mean, look, remember how many people had Artsakh flags during the months yeah. of the war, yeah. and like all that energy, and where is it now? Like dumped into like driving exotic cars and. Posting photos on Instagram again. I mean, Aww. we just we just defaulted back to where we what were. What they were before, yeah. What they were doing before, and and like you know. I had a firsthand experience with that during the war. I was trying to start this um, group, a detachment group, and our goal was to later on move to Armenia. Uh, I don't know if you have heard about Voma in Armenia. Yes. It's called Vochmanalu Arvesta. Yeah. So they're basically training uh, volunteers who want to join the army. So I started something similar here, and Anker Mihran from ARF was helping us. He was training us. We were a group of five girls. At the beginning of the war, I had 25 girls signed up. Oh, no uh, in the middle, we were around 10. And then when the war ended, five of the girls were like, oh, the war is done. Yeah. Like, war, what's the point of this? It's and not done. Well, we, I, I remember seeing all these posts during the war of like, mm-hmm. I'm going to marry an Armenian. And I'm going to have Armenian babies. And I'm going to have 10 <laughs> of them. I'm, I'm going to have like, some. <laughs> you know, it's been more than nine months. Since <laughs> where are all should have at least one ready. Where, where are all these babies? But, yeah. you know, no, hey, look, I, I remember feeling like, hey, look, now everyone's talking about it. This this is great. I almost feel like, because I've always been, as an AYF member, we've been going to these Artsakh protests mm-hmm. like the whole time. Not when it was quote-unquote trendy, for lack of a better term. But uh, I was all excited because I was like, okay, the pressure's off my shoulders a little bit. Everyone's active. Everyone's mm-hmm. getting into it. Um, and it, granted, I'll say it, there is probably like more of a residue left over where there are a lot more people now talking about it, doing things about it. But it did die down a little bit. And but even the people yeah. talking, the people talking about it right now also are struggling emotionally and with depression. Yes. Yes. I think those of us who've always been active, it's funny, like, 
Not funny. I mean, I know we're laughing and we're kind of having a good time because I'm really enjoying the conversation and your company. But, you know, I mean, I think that your listeners shouldn't mistake our comfort in having this conversation Mm -hmm. for us not taking the issues seriously enough. We just can't be 100% serious. I mean, I have different... I deal with grief differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I use sometimes humor as a defense mechanism yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's part of, I think, my personality and nature. But, you know, in, in we have to seriously acknowledge the burnout that mm-hmm. a lot of activists are feeling. Mm-hmm. And I remember during the wars, I, would, I, I was constantly on the defensive because, like, all these people had become activated. I remember hearing a few times, well, where has Hightot been? Or where has yeah. ANC? Or, and I'd be like... Where have you been? Like, I mean, we, while we were in the trenches, mm-hmm. literally the political trenches in Sacramento, Washington, uh, D.C., Washington State, Nevada, you name it, Texas, mm-hmm. you know, which now there's all this attention on Texas and the Azari scandal. And, yeah. like, I could, you know, back in the day, like 20 years ago, that was a hotbed of Azari activity because of the oil industry in Houston. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, no one would help us. Like, you couldn't drag people to go to an ANC event talk, mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. And I'm glad people are active now, but then to dismiss the work that was done, the people that were, I mean, the the high taught activists in America, the AYF activists mm-hmm. are the political equivalent. I'm not drawing a direct parallel because the sacrifice our soldiers make on the borders is totally di- on a completely yes. different level. Mm-hmm. But on a political level, it's no different than that kid who's alone in a trench in the snow mm-hmm. with like not even the proper gear, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, our, our lobbyists, our quote-unquote lobbyists who are really Armenian activists in mm-hmm. Washington, D.C., are the American political equivalent of that. The yeah. work that they do with the resources they have is nothing short of miraculous. Mm-hmm. Up against, you know, the, the, the lobbyist version of drones or whatever you want to Absolutely. call it. Absolutely, you know? 100%. You know, well, for example, Ardashes, uh, we have in L.A. a few, or like six months ago, a year ago, there was like a um, a mayor or in a police department that did something with the Azari consulate mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. uh, we put pressure on them or it was like the San Diego City mayor, mayor that's what it was and, and, the, and the sheriff of and the sheriff mm-hmm. Torrance or some LA or something um, we put pressure on them they put out a statement saying you know oh we didn't know or this and that um, but I feel like there was something missing there like we, or we should have capitalized we should have done something more to like you know then have the, uh, an opportunity to educate them an opportunity to make them then do mm-hmm. something in addition to make up for it rather than just saying hey this is a win and we'll move on now right um are there other uh, how would you like re- do you have any recommendations on how we can be more efficient or i don't know if that's the right word um uh c- keep our progress or maintain our progress and then add to it so i think one of the things we need to do is expand our circles of influence right mm. and not necessarily engage people in a way where we're only telling our story mm-hmm. but to also listen to the story that other people have to tell mm-hmm. and relate to it so when the issue happened at UCLA, by the way, and I'm talking, you know, when we go back to mm-hmm. the Turkish chair issue at UCLA, and by the way, shout out to any UCLA ASA listeners that you have. And if mm-hmm. you don't, hopefully more will start listening <laughs> after this. For sure. But, you know, a lot of the problems that we were facing mm-hmm. to, or we are facing today in terms of being fractured, different people doing different things, some people not wanting to follow certain, you know, leadership and saying mm-hmm. like, hey, you know, you, you're on your own. All those things, you know, that happened then, happened today, very little change. But... One of the things that I think we did that was very unique and has been done since and has been built upon and has translated to a lot of success, mm-hmm. particularly with the AYF, ASA, the divestment issue, was 
back it started back in my day when we started coalition building. We knew we were too small of a group within the larger UCLA student family. Mm-hmm. And our voice was very small, just as Armenia's is, right? So yeah. what we did is we started building um, relationships. In fact, Vachi Petrosian, Vachi Petrosian, who was my um, ASA vi- vice president in, in our term, mm-hmm. um, was very good at this. He lived in the International Student Dormitory House. Mm-hmm. So he was very good at talking to people about their country, about uh, origin and culture and whatever. Nice. We, we built um, alliances with the Mecha Movement uh-huh. Estudianto Chicano de Aslan, oh. um, which was a very um, uh, active group of Latino Latinx students. Mm-hmm. Uh, we built uh, coalitions with the Persian Student mm-hmm. Association. Nice. We built coalitions with the Hellenic American Student Organization, the Greek students. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had allies. And together we became, when the Turkish students got wind that we were becoming active and informing others of this effort to uh, whitewash uh, Turkish crimes um, through this establishment of this chair, we had a number of allies. So when when there was an opportunity, when they got up to speak and complain and talk about Armenian, whatever it was, terrorism, this, that, you know, we had three other non-Armenians, not Armenians, but non-Armenians who got up and responded. And mm. when a non-Armenian speaks out on these issues, they become also more a reliable or trusted source of information within their mm-hmm. circles, mm-hmm. right? Think about that. I mean, when a non-Armenian comes within Armenian circles with some information, you know, some people will listen, but if an Armenian carries that same information, they become a validator mm-hmm. and they become more trusted. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like this in a lot of communities. Right. It's true. Yeah. And so we need to build those relationships. We need to continue reaching out and finding out that's why you know we need to start working with like for instance on the on the political right we need to find allies within those christian coalition groups Mm -hmm. Um, on the left we need to build those alliances within the human rights groups which we've started but then not Mm -hmm. just make it about ourselves but say okay what are your issues this is like, uh, well, you know, you help us, we help you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's intersectionality. Um, and I know that this may not be popular because some people are like, well, they're never really going to help us, you know? We tried actually during the war, um, AYF, um, we had a council and what we were doing, we were taking, uh, we were searching all the phone numbers from different churches or different Christian organizations and we were reaching out to them and letting them know that this is happening in Armenia, right. a Muslim country is attacking Christian mm-hmm. Armenia. And we were trying to see if anyone would respond or if anyone. Did well, but I mean, I think I think the problem with that at the time was that we started too late. Yeah, definitely. And, yes, and that's unfortunately. The we, yeah, we are generally very reactionary as a community, which is which is essentially which is the problem that we're seeing now, mm-hmm. uh, or we're, we're seeing with this aftermath of the war and like the community kind of slowing down. Well, so for example, based on what you were saying, Ardashes, like if I was an Armenian who cared about something that was not an Armenian issue, like let's say environmental science or eco-friendly uh, things, you know, get out of my Armenian bubble and go and get involved in these other uh, policy issues, get influential there, and then you can, you know, go and say, hey, Azerbaijan is this big oil fossil fuel kind of country. Uh, let's not let's put pressure on the government on an eco uh, on an eco kind of uh, lobbyist side of things like is that what you're kind of getting at yes I I do think that part of it is you know you look at how um, we can become more involved and bring about change and look 
Public service shouldn't always just be about what is important for us, right? Public service is about how do we serve the greater community. Mm -hmm. I always believe if you do your job and you do it well, there's recognition for it. And people will want you to do more. I mean, think about within the AYF and the AYF chapters. Who do you give the assignment to? You don't give it to the person. I mean, you may try to give it to the person who never does anything, never shows up. After about one or two times, you realize (laughs) it's not going to happen. So you give it to the person who actually shows up, who cares, who shows interest. Are you sure you weren't in AYF at all? (laughs) You know pretty well. (laughs) Um, You know, no, because here's the thing. These things are universal. Yeah, They're the same for any organization, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yeah, exactly. I think someone was telling me recently that Hovhannes Tumanyan had written an essay in which he said it's only 4% of the Armenian uh, community that is doing anything to lead and keep the Armenian uh, wow. spirit still, alive. Still low-key kind of feels true. Right? Oh, and, and he wrote this like in the 1890s or whatever, or 1800s. And like you're like, okay, like so... <laughs> It's yeah. the same, and I'll even take <laughs> yeah. it. I'll take it one step further. You can all the things you criticize about the Armenian community today. Go back and read Mopsus Hoyanazi's mm-hmm. like last chapter of his history of the Armenian people. It's called the lamentation or lamenting over Armenia, and you can find the English translation. I wrote it. I found the translation. I sent it to someone who was critical of the Armenians mm-hmm. today and was very down and dour about what was happening in Hayastan. Not with this administration, but the previous one, although this administration is, I think, as deserving, if not more deserving of our criticism, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, far more deserving. And um, I said, look, like, you know, we have to look at where, I mean, has look at our past to understand and carve a way forward for the future. Right. Mm-hmm. And when you read Moses Planets, you're like, man, it's all the same. Like, yeah. all the complaints yeah. we have are the same. Yeah. So how do we succeed Here's and how do we move forward in spite of ourselves? Mm despite ourselves, despite our weaknesses. And so um, I think one of the ways is to expand our horizons, to be more involved mm-hmm. in what's around us immediately. If your, own house is in, if your own house is not in order, don't go around trying to tell other people how to fix their houses. Mm-hmm. Be healthy and, and, and be a constant learner. Take care of your health. For everyone who's listening, for anyone who's mm-hmm. listening right now, having a cigarette Put out that cigarette. <laughs> For anyone who's going to go out and drink with their friends this weekend, think twice. Treat your body like a temple. Armenia needs mm-hmm. every single one of you in peak health. Yes. Y- you know, treat this like you would treat a video game. Our goal is to get to the next level. Yeah. All of us need to, like, you know, advance in this game and get to the next level and one-up yeah. and arm up. And, and a healthy body, healthy life. mind. I, I Let's make Hovhannes to Manias 4% to 10, mm. then 20, <laughs> ten, then 30. Yeah. And then we have this saying, right? It says, I'm not sure if I can translate that in Armenian. Yeah, shoulder but I guess to shoulder, we can topple mountains. Yes, yes. Yeah. So yeah, it's how's so that for a little very, high, huh? very good Armenian. Very good. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> but it's so unfortunate to think only 4% of us are hey i mean Saudish but that being said I, I i listened to the podcast about revolutions and like mm-hmm. I'm, we're learning about the bolshevik revolution right now and, and i mean it was really at the end of the day like a few hundred of these guys who just at the right time at the right place mm-hmm. were able to change history so i mean uh that four or five percent can 
do crazy things. Um, I think and, our history has proved that. Yeah, yeah. And, but when you are successful, you know, <laughs> the saying is that success has many parents, but failure is an orphan. Like, once you are successful, everyone will want to take part oh, yes. in that success. Oh, I mean, yes. one, of the things that, one of the things that I, I, I take pride in is that the work that I did at the ANC and mm-hmm. that my predecessors, like, you know, I've stood on the shoulders of giants, right? Like, people like Vikan Sonens and Alex Sardar and, you know, the executive directors who came before them, people like Berge Carpet. And there's a lot of folks, you know, mm-hmm. and the Hamparian brothers. And yeah. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of folks and, you know... Um, we are able to see further when we're able to do that. Like, you know, when we build on that knowledge, we continue that tribal memory of what has happened. But then also, when you're successful, you're going to have a lot more people want to be involved. Mm -hmm. Not all of them will be up to par. And the goal isn't to then take those people who are maybe not um, up to the challenge and say, you know what, you don't have anything to contribute, get lost, but rather to find ways where they can contribute and be successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Armenians mm-hmm. are a very small tribe. There isn't too much, too many of us, and yes, we yeah. need an all-hands-on-deck situation. Right. Even the people that we may politically disagree with, maybe they have a different political ideology. I like the John, like, I, you know, I'm a UCLA guy, so I, I like John Wooden, the, wiz- the Wizard of Westwood. And one of the things that made all of his basketball teams successful was that he always found a way to make... To, to put his posi- his players in positions to set them up for success. Mm-hmm. So what that means is, wow. like, if you have a player who's not very tall, for anyone who follows basketball or knows anything mm-hmm. about basketball, you don't take your um, shortest... Your, your shortest player is not going to be your power forward, right? You're going to make him probably your point guard or something. You mm-hmm. don't put them in a position where they're going to not score and be a failure. You want... Mm-hmm. To make people successful. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think as Armenians we don't do often. Mm-hmm. We uh, see people fail and then we like dismiss them immediately versus saying maybe that wasn't the best thing that that uh-huh. person was intended mm-hmm. to do. Yeah. Maybe there's another role for them. But every mm-hmm. Armenian has value. I agree. Right. Even the Armenian that's like fourth generation, a quarter Armenian, doesn't speak Armenian. I like, mean, are you talking about yourself? No, because like, I think, I really think, no, but like a lot of my cousins, you know, like who are really down when the war happened before and after, they all really want to be involved and help and this and that. They want to learn Armenian. They're taking classes. They've done birthright. So they are really trying to do this thing. Hell yeah. Nice. Uh, but, uh, so, I, yeah, I have a lot of family who are, you know, desiring to, to get involved. But then a lot of times the community could be very exclusive and not inclu- uh, uh, welcoming at times because they don't know who you are. You're Let me validate that yet. point. I can tell you that some of my friends from AYF who were not born and raised in Armenia were more involved and have done more for Armenia than, unfortunately, some people I know who were born and raised in Armenia. Right. Like, I can tell you, like, I know plenty of half-Armenians that, you know, have, you know, go move back to Armenia and do the whole mm-hmm. thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we can't really talk big. But the point I was getting at is uh, we need to create an inclusive community on top of it to then utilize and maximize on those uh, community members that, uh, that you know, we can find their strength and mm-hmm. we can optimize and we can, you know, our diversity will be our strength in that way. And we're not going to know who what options we have until we, you know, have them all in the room together. Right. Say, so you'll be good at this and you'll and be good at this. Like, si- we, we, yes. we, we often... Um, we, we often mythologize success stories. Like, one of the things we need to do is, again, read these stories of entrepreneurial success. Like, when we talk about whether it's Microsoft or Apple, like, there's this kind of image of someone in a garage and then, you know, 
there was this moment where a light comes on. We we look at narratives in a very Hollywood way, right? And mm-hmm. not and and instead we gotta realize that success is often complicated. There's various pathways to it and it can look different to different mm-hmm. people. Um you know, one of our problems in Hayastan is I think we constantly are looking towards an individual to lead our people because right. we've been led to think there was Ashkar Ardashis and then there was Dikan mm-hmm. Meds or mm-hmm. there was Haig Nahabed yeah. or Sasun Sidavit. And instead, I mean, you take the revolutionary movement, certain people came out of the revolutionary movement, whether it's Antrani Guzunian, Antrani Pasha, oh. or, you know, the Kayakin Nujdez or the um, Sose. And, and, yeah. yeah. But of what made that movement successful or as successful as it was in terms of an awakening of the Armenian consciousness was the fact, first of all, it was ideas. Mm-hmm. Ideas are what gave birth to that, this consciousness mm-hmm. that I think sometimes is lacking. Um, and then the other is that enough people, I mean, you look at all those photos of these people. They're not sitting there on a chair alone. They're usually with like 15 or 20 guys all wearing their papachs, you know, and they're carrying right. their rifles with their bandoliers. Yeah. I can't name half of them. We know Antjanik, and we have yeah. songs about them. But Antjanik wouldn't have been Antjanik if he didn't have like 20, 30 guys with True. him. No, and that's why I feel res- like I'm, I'm happy to be involved in organizations like the AYF that like sometimes can get frustrating working with Armenians. Doesn't feel uh, like it, it almost doesn't feel natural at times. Very frustrating experience. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, you know, if the the goals that I have are are big goals, you know, I want Armenia to have justice. I want this and that. And we're going up against nations and armies you know mm-hmm. i'm not no matter how rich an individual is i don't think they're going to be able to move mountains that way you really need to uh, be part of a greater collective of no, workers dedicated and individuals uh, working together see even in our history like the men we had our fedais they were amazing but some of them had their wives with them after set up in sosa mighty yeah. Yeah, yeah, yes yeah. Uh, with preach i love that yes everyone and and not just to i mean we, we now live in this uh, era where, like, li- I want to say any, you can be anything you want, right? You can mm-hmm. uh, achieve whatever you want um, within reason. Like, I'm not going to run a marathon any day. But um, <laughs> maybe, I don't know. But I'm not going to win a marathon. I may be a runner. Listen, I know, New Year's resolutions. <laughs> but, um, you know, we, we need to um, encourage, we all need each other to lift each other up. Yes. We all mm-hmm. need to lift each other up. And when we see someone struggling, to help them because, mm-hmm. you know, it's that parts out Syria, you have parts out Sur. Yes. Like, it's yes. going to be lonely at the top if you're only after your own goals. Like, our goals need to be collective. We need to do it with a collective mind. Mm-hmm. And when you reach the top, like, you need to see, like, who else can you carry your you know, your friends mm-hmm. up with you? I think that's from a famous Armenian poem. Vahan Tekian. Yeah, parts out Syria, parts out Syria. It is a Tekian, yeah, very nice. Yeah. yeah. Here's, here's what I'm going to say. Like, you know, a lot of times, like, people will say, well, well, when I, when I would be asked, like, okay, what is the advantage of doing, like, one of the ANC's internships or doing any of these Armenian internships, right? Mm-hmm. And, Divine, would you mind snapping, like, a couple of photos of So when, when people would ask me, like, what is, why should I go and intern for an Armenian cause or intern for an Armenian organization, I would say the following, right? Like, I would say, um, I'm going to bring up the marathon. And, and use that as an example. And this is what I would explain. The marathon every year, uh, in whether it's the Olympics or the marathons around the world, is usually won by someone from like either Morocco or Kenya. Um, Kenyans are very, very um, successful at winning marathons. Mm-hmm. 
And if I was to ask you, like, which country has better, like, technology and training athletes, taking care of athletes, mm -hmm. you know, is it the U.S. or England or France or Kenya? Most people are going to say, and accurately, that it's the U.S., right? We have these athletic facilities right. where we train athletes who mm -hmm. look at a basketball or whatever. Is it because we don't train marathoners? Not at all. We have that ability. But here's what makes them stand out. The Kenyan marathon runners early on when they were running, mm -hmm. a lot of these runners from the various different African nations and uh, from that subcontinent that would win, would train at, first of all, high altitudes mm -hmm. without, like, the latest Nike sneaker, right? They would train in very adverse conditions. Mm -hmm. So the conditions that they were training in to be at the level, like, all to have the same running time was so um, challenging, that once they were able to succeed or have any success at that level, and then you put them on a level where, you know, they're at sea level, they're at ocean mm -hmm. level, and um, they have a nice pair of they, shoes. They have a nice <laughs> pair of shoes. Less conditions. There's, you know, they're, they're, yeah, less uh, uh, barriers. They blow the competition mm -hmm. away. Yeah. And that's what working for an Armenian lobby or fighting for the Armenian cause is about. We have so many things against going against us, mm -hmm. right? So many challenges. We are the Kenyan marathon runner. <laughs> so if you can succeed at that level with no resources, with like all these other, you know, lobbies working against you, mm -hmm. and you can still crack that nut and make progress, then when we do have the resources, Watch out. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's true. Mm -hmm. We're going to blow the competition out of right. water. Because, first of all, our cause is just. Mm -hmm. um, and the truth only needs to succeed once for it to hit its target. This is a David and Goliath fight. Mm -hmm. And Goliath slayed that giant with just one rock. You got to hit your target just once. Yeah. And I think we're also so dedicated to our cause. Because I know some of the Turkish lobbying organizations, there are people who are hired by the Turkish government. And like the Azerbaijani soldiers who were fighting during the Artsakh war um, two years the ago. The mercenaries, right? The mercenaries. They were hired so the determination or the willingness to really save this land yeah. liberate the land it's not there because they, they they're doing it for the money yeah. while we have it in our heart we know the cause and we know that it's just and, and, and think about every time like did you guys do you guys notice this that every time the turkish or azeri lobby does something it's like a knockoff version of what <laughs> we what the armenian lobby is yeah doing? i mean that tells you something right that like we are working on a on a in in terms of entrepreneurism and activism we're mm -hmm. on a different level mm -hmm. and if all they're doing is mimicking us then you know we will win if we can build that capacity get more people engaged right. involved marshal our resources in an effective way i am confident that this is not our last chapter or even um you know uh, a chapter that you know, we should be so down on. I mean, we will have success. I we will we will have success. Nice. You look at we've we've gone through much darker periods in our history. And the war ain't over. You know, there's many battles. So uh, we just have to be prepared. Hey, I mean, like I I don't go into like you know volunteering all these hours with the mindset that oh I'm gonna see that utopia Armenia that I dream of right like I'm not uh, expecting this sort of like reward or like this sort of like oh we've succeeded and now I can relax it's just this is good I've already gotten everything that I want from mm -hmm. being Armenian the fa the family the friends the food the community like there's nothing else that I could really ask for you know so this is uh, us giving back and it's gonna be uh, we're not gonna see that in our lifetimes. 
potentially. You know, we're going to struggle till the end. And I mean, uh, and you, we all got to be content with that. And we at these protests will be like, Baikar, Baikar, Minchevet, we're going to struggle till the end. I mean, uh, people want to work in these organizations and it being like the nicest, easiest thing ever. And I'm like, no, this is the struggling part. You know, we're, yeah. being in a committee with a fellow Armenians and trying to plan something out, that's the struggle too, you know. Look, uh, during World War II, Armenia lost 300,000 Armenian men. A huge part of its population. Yeah, entire villages were wiped out of their male population, yet they came out of that during the 50s, 60s, stronger than Armenia mm-hmm. ever had been. In terms of science and technology, yeah. Armenia was number one in the Soviet Union and produced some of the top mm-hmm. scientists in the world. Yeah. Right? We can yeah. come out of that. We'll be able to come out of this. Look at what's happening here right now. We're sitting around uh, whatever we would call this, a podcast table with all this <laughs> equipment, but like three Armenians of three very different backgrounds right. having this conversation. If that's not hope for the... And Davin, by the way, who's sitting in the corner. <laughs> um, quiet. Hello. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, if this is not like... Um, a sign of our success and survival mm-hmm. what is yeah yeah no i yeah. see the signs all the time so uh you can't lose hope anyway so no. then there's no point um but i, I did want to ask uh so let's say outside of the armenian cause are there other let's say non-armenian issues that you care about and you, you you're like active in potentially it could be work-related or non-work-related so, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I think the issue I'm most concerned about is raising my son, <laughs> raising <laughs> oh. our son to be a, a good person. That's true. Uh, a good human being. That's number one job. Um, you, know, First uh, envi- you know, being an environmentally uh, responsible and aware uh, mm. resident of this uh, planet <laughs> we call Earth mm. is very important. I think we need to be aware of that. And uh, let's not forget before the whole war happened mm. in Hayastan, um, there was great activism about environmental justice. Um, Amusa, right? Yeah, Amusa yeah. and Tehud Forest and yes. all that, and mm-hmm. we can't forget that. We cannot forget yeah. that what, the patch of earth that we have is worth uh, protecting and, and yeah. preserving. Um, and uh, so that's important to me, um, social justice issues as far as you know, access to voting and people understanding how to vote, where to vote, how government works, why it sometimes doesn't work. Um, those issues are important to me here in the States as well as around the world um, as well. But I, like I said, you have to make sure your own house is order before you start mm-hmm. trying to... I don't even believe in exporting your ideas. I just believe you live a good life and you live it by... An, and you try to be an example for others yeah. in that way. And if they yeah. want to follow you, they will. Um, you know, I, I, we could talk... We could have a whole other podcast yeah. about Glendale issues and what's uh, going on in the city of Glendale. But that was the next question I we were going to ask. No, my gosh. No, no, no. You guys don't want to hear that. I don't uh, know if your listeners want to hear that. I guess we can skip and on that one. If anyone is listening to this and speeding on Glen Oaks, please stop. Oh, <laughs> or speeding anywhere in Glendale. It is. It wow. is. And I feel like our, our young uh, Armenian friends are sometimes the most egregious violators. Oh, yeah, unfortunately. Uh, Artashes, what would be your advice to the next generation of Armenians who want to pursue a career in politics? Find, the, find an issue that you care about outside of the realm of, obviously, international policy. Because every Armenian is like, international affairs, international yeah. policy. I'm going to become the next Amal Clooney or whatever. Find something like that. You, If you want to really be successful in American politics... Find an issue in your own community mm-hmm. that you think you can uh, impact, make a change in. Get involved in it, learn about it, um, become a thought leader, policy expert, um, find like-minded people to work with. Mm-hmm. Dedicate yourself to that and then find ways um, in the public political arena 
to give a greater voice to those that you're trying to help. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you can do that, like I said earlier, then you will find a pathway in politics mm-hmm. and public service. And for some, it's not always about elected office. You can be someone who works in the, on the staff of a political person and impact then make a great change. There was a great, you know, Dean Shahinian uh, is someone who's helped a lot of Armenians, used to work mm-hmm. for Senator Sarbanes or Sarbanes from Maryland. Um, a lot of people... Um, uh, I'm forgetting a couple of other folks who've been very um, instrumental, but you don't have to have to be in elected office. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't rule it out either. Mm-hmm. Um, start clean, just start cleaning out your social media posts right now <laughs> and your uh, Twitter <laughs> and your Instagram, but uh, don't rule it out. Be smart, but at the same time, if that's all you're interested in doing is like running for office because you think that's how you... I can tell you that uh, there are a lot of times when I feel very limited and what I can say, what I can do, how I can help people because I'm in elected office mm-hmm. versus being a, a private citizen. Regular individual. Right. Well, Arda, just everything you've done and you are going to do. I mean, we follow we're you very thankful. closely. We're very proud of you. Yeah, we're very thankful and proud mm-hmm. of the work you're doing. I'm, and I'm humbled, and I hope I can always live up to that. But more importantly, I'm proud of what you guys are doing. Thank you. Thank you, Ardashes, and uh, I hope we can continue this conversation. Um, this was awesome. I, I enjoyed it a lot, so... Thank Me you. too. Thank, Thank you. You are listening to Haituk Talks, the official podcast of the AYF West. I'm Haig Minasyan. And I'm Susanna Abrahamian. And we're just a couple of Armenians. Talking in the world. A couple of Armenians talking in the world.